So I wanted to jump on and do one of these episodes because... Are we still calling this McMahon's Musings, by the way? I haven't thought of anything better, so I think we're still calling him McMahon's Musings. But you need to know that I don't feel good about that. I feel like a knobhead. McMahon's Musings. Please, if you think of anything better, let me know. But look, I am obsessed with a song. This isn't unusual, I get obsessed with songs all the time, but this song I am obsessed with. That's how obsessed I am, I said obsessed in a long drawn out way. Obsessed, I cannot stop playing this song. Have you heard the new Mitski song? Yeah, I know we're doing the whole me asking you a question, you can't answer it thing, but okay, it's a stylistic device. Have you heard the new Mitski song, Bug Like an Angel? My God, that is a song. Now, I've liked Mitski for a long time. I, I, I've liked everything that she's done, in fact, but I haven't really been obsessed with a record that Mitski's made since Be The Cowboy, and that's 2018. So, you know, a fair time ago. And I know it's only one song, and how much do you really know about what's coming on an album from one song alone, but I am really excited about The Land Is Inhospitable, and so are we, which is due on September 15th. This song, Bug Like An Angel, been playing it over and over again and I've been trying to work out what it is about it that I like so much. And obviously it's got that Mitski way of she's singing a song but you also feel a little bit like she's putting her hands inside her chest. That's quite a gory metaphor. I, don't, I didn't really mean it in a gory way. I don't, I don't mean intestines or kidneys or whatever. I mean that it feels like she's telling you a secret that you're not supposed to hear. But stylistically, it's kind of got a low thing going on. I don't know whether you know this about me, but I, if I was forced to tell you my favourite album, and what a question that is, I could probably give you 10. I could probably give you a short list of 10. And amongst it would be Things We Lost in the Fire by Lowe. I, I love that record. That record has soundtracked some really strange times, actually. I had a thing back in 2020, during the early days of the pandemic, when I had some problems with sleep, proper problems with sleep. One day, I just seemingly forgot how to sleep. I got hospitalised and everything. It was wild. By wild, I mean horrendous, but it was wild. And that record kind of became a balm to me as I was learning how to sleep again. But I'm going off on a tangent. This song, Bug Like an Angel, kind of reminds me of songs from that low record. It's got the same kind of dynamics, like it's loud music, but it's played very, very quietly. And it's sort of got a bit of a spaghetti western thing going on. Kind of got a sort of country lilt, but there's also something a bit spiritual about it as well. When I say spiritual, I mean spirituals. There's a vocal choir in it that just punctures the lilt of the verse. It really is an incredible song. I'm so excited to see what that record's gonna sound like. See, hear what that record's gonna sound like. See, hear, see, hear, hear, see, hear, see, see, hear. But listen, while I'm here, there's something else I wanted to bang on about. There's a really amazing interview right now with the band Royal Blood that's on The Enemy. It was done by Andrew Trendle from The Enemy, who, I don't know whether you know Andrew Trendle, but he's one of the music industry's better figures. A very nice guy. And he does this interview with Royal Blood. I've interviewed Royal Blood before a couple of times. I interviewed them in Dublin for Kerrang! when I went out to cover a festival over there. And it was a really good interview. That band have far more to say than I think maybe comes across in a lot of their interviews. Or maybe even the perception of them, which is that they're this kind of 
rock band for people who don't really like rock music, a Muse or a Queens of the Stone Age. A rock band for indie kids, so to speak. But I think that band are great. I was maybe a bit unconvinced when I went to see them in Dublin, but actually after watching them, I thought they were really, really good and I've been a bit of a fan ever since. But the people in that band are much more interesting than I think comes across sometimes in the interviews that they do. And if you are a user of Twitter or X, X will always be a Los Angeles punk band to me, by the way, Elon, but let's go with it for now. Then you know that there was a hoo-ha, a proper hoo-ha, one of those Twitter hoo-hahs that seems like the biggest thing in the world if you live on Twitter, and then when you open your front door and step outside, no one gives a shit. But there was this hoo-ha where the singer Mike Kerr had been a bit prissy on stage. Who would have thought it, a rock band being prissy at a Radio 1 roadshow? I don't think they're called it anymore. And I, look, I know Simon Bates isn't there. And Who's the other guy, though? Wah, wah, wah. Who's that guy? My dad used to love that guy on the radio all the time. Wah, wah, wah. I don't know who that guy was. But yeah, Royal Blood were doing this Radio 1 roadshow in Dundee. One big weekend. That's what they call them. They call one big weekend. And they're playing in front of a largely pop crowd it seems like the people who have come they're there more for pop music than rock music and what they offer and Mike Kerr says something to the effect of this is rock music and the Guardian do this really earnest prissy it's time for people to view pop music as real music kind of thing as if anyone hasn't done that for the last 20 years and it's a whole thing they end up going on the radio and it seems a little bit like some kind of communist struggle session where they have to explain themselves the whole thing no one comes out of it with really any credit but the interview that they just did with the NME kind of brought me back again and made me think how much I like them and there's a bit in the interview when they say to Andrew Trendle every time you open your mouth these days you're rolling the dice and it just made me think that that's one of my frustrations about music right now like I felt like music when I got into it and maybe I was a bit naive and I don't think it was always the case but it felt like somewhere where freaks and weirdos could go and they could express themselves that's what music was to me that's what indie music it was to me that was what art is to me and the thing is is though royal blood weren't actually saying anything of any great importance at that show they were just pissing around they were being rick flair they were being a wrestling heel the idea that a band of that size would feel some reticence about what they could and couldn't say to have that feeling that they were one thoughtless statement away from being the main story on twitter and trust me Sometimes over the years, I've been the main story on Twitter. Sometimes I've deserved it. Sometimes I really haven't. And it is never a good feeling. No one enjoys that unless you're made out of granite and the stuff inside you doesn't work. And the thing is, is with that kind of Roman Colosseum-esque bloodlust to pile on anyone who might say something, or not even offensive, but different, the only result that's going to have is it's going to make music and art and the expressions of humans amongst each other, if it hasn't done this already, really, really stale and predictable. There's a comedian I like called Tim Dillon. He's very funny. It can sometimes be quite offensive if you take what he is saying too seriously. He's not for everyone, but I really, really like him. I know what it is that he offers before I get in there. And he says this thing about social media, about how it's really steamrolled individuality. I was thinking a bit about Pee Wee Herman yesterday, and that'll be Paul Rubens to his mum. Had a pretty checkered career. Now, I'm pretty sure that the nefarious stuff he was accused of wasn't backed up with a great deal of evidence. 
And anyway, he's just passed away and now isn't really the time for any of that kind of stuff. But he passed away yesterday and I was thinking a bit about Twitter as these outpourings of love and affection for the work of Pee Wee Herman was being shared far and wide on Twitter. And I was thinking if Twitter had existed at a certain point in Paul Rubens' career, there is no way that Paul Rubens would be celebrated in the way that he was on Twitter in the wake of his passing. Tim Dillon makes this point that social media and the thirst for outrage and conformity is making us all boring and dull and I think there's something in that. I think it's making us incredibly conformist and because this is a podcast about music and what I really am concerned about is music and art and human expression, it makes me really sad that it's making our artists want to muzzle themselves. Which is kind of the reason why I give Matt Healy from the 1975 a pass on so many things. I've joked about this on the podcast before. There's an episode, uh, an interview episode of the podcast that I did with Dan Searle, the drummer from Architects, way back. If you scroll back on the feeds earlier this year, then you'll find it. It's a really good interview, and one of the things that's amazing about that interview, in my opinion, is that Dan, as the drummer in a very successful British heavy metal band, actually goes out on the limb and says some of these things that I'm saying, but from the perspective of an artist. We talk a little bit about Matt Healy on the episode, and I, I think I describe him as a psyop at one point, which is the language of a conspiracy theorist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I am really interested in them. But I sort of think that Matt Healy is an artist which feels so constrained by this constant outrage and morality because it's really no way to live a life if you are an artistic expressive person that whilst he hasn't ever really done anything that bad or that wrong he's always pushing the limits of what he can get away with now of course in 1975 as a band they're fine I went to see them at the O2 I felt very very old the moment I walked into the arena but not really my thing I think if I was a lot younger, I would enjoy them. I kind of did enjoy them. Look, there gets a point when you're a music fan where even one like myself that is always looking to hear new things and challenge my tastes and I don't just listen to teenage fan club records. That's me inadvertently throwing shade on some of my friends. But there comes a point where you sort of feel like, I've kind of heard this before. But look, anyway, I give Matt Healy a pass on a lot of things because it's almost like he is trying to break out of the box that constrains so many artistic people in 2023 and makes them ultimately miserable. He is doing us all a service. Matt Healy is trying to get cancelled, so we don't have to. I'm saying a lot of this with my tongue in my cheek, but... I more or less stand by the point I'm trying to make. And there's been this outrage, and I think in this case it actually is outrage, it actually is a thing where Matt Healy got off. I don't know whether you say got off. We used to say got off when I was at school, but he kissed his bandmate Ross MacDonald at the Good Vibes Festival in Malaysia. Malaysia has a very harsh stance on LGBTQ. I didn't know that. I should have known that. I should have known about the religious environment in the country, but as a Westerner and as someone who has had a lifelong view that anyone who has a problem with homosexuality or same-sex relationships really needs to take a long, hard look at themselves, I maybe just didn't, I maybe lost sight of the fact that it isn't like that around the globe. So he kisses this member of his band, the 1975 set gets cut short, the 1975 cancel the rest of their Asia tour, there's a lot of, oh this is white saviour syndrome being expressed on Twitter or that Matt Healy's just made this harder for LGBTQ folks. But listen, that's not the way that art works. Matt Healy doesn't owe anything to anyone other than himself and his own expression of his art. 
This idea that we have to police what people think and feel or how they express those thoughts and feelings is something that I don't think there's any place in music. Oh, and by the way, Nirvana, who were a band that is basically my year zero where it comes to music, there was an incident where Kurt Cobain got off, kissed, with tongues, Chris Novoselic at the MTV Music Awards. I saw that when I was in my early teens and I thought it was the coolest thing that I'd ever seen, especially because I was having some thoughts. And at the time, I was quite confused about those thoughts. And the thing with what Mahini did, I didn't know anything about homophobia in Malaysia, and I do now, and I think that's kind of the point. These sort of things are the sparks that ignite revolutions. In the wake of this whole hoo-ha news played in Malaysia, and there's a quote that Billboard picked up by the promoter, and he says, the Muse show will go on as long as the band behaves appropriately, everything should be smooth. Oh, that quote chilled me behaves appropriately. No one who makes music, who makes art, should behave as anything other than whatever the fuck they want to behave as. Anyway, I'm gonna go listen to Mitski again. <laughs>